Welcome to another episode of VBC's Post 9-11 Veterans Storytelling Program. The mission of the Veterans Breakfast Club is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories, and we accomplish this through public storytelling programs where veterans of all eras can share their memories in their own words. Our program today was recorded live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Enjoy the program. All right, thank you all so much for coming out tonight. Uh, This is our third post-9-11 veterans event. We're really excited about this program. This is a huge turnout. Uh, Really just want to thank you guys for making the time. Uh, A couple people want to recognize first. Uh, We've got Kevin Farkas over here. He does all of our audiovisual stuff. He's the man behind the curtain. Then Brian Kamini is going to be the guy awkwardly and uncomfortably taking pictures of everyone all night. Then we have Todd DiBestino over here. Wave, Todd. He's our executive director, and he is a very, very old gentleman. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, right. So we're recording tonight. This is going to go uh, on a podcast up on our website in about a week or two. Uh, once we get all the edits and everything done, we're going to go till a little after eight o'clock. Uh, we'd like to get as many people in as possible tonight. So, uh, you know, if you're talking and I come and I kind of pull the microphone away from you, don't be offended by it. It's just for the sake of trying to fit more people in. We have, where's Jasmine? Hey, Jasmine, can you make your way up front real quick? Uh, we always like to highlight uh, another, like a partner in the community that's doing work in the veteran sphere. And tonight we have Jasmine Morris here from Leadership Pittsburgh. She works on the community leadership course for veterans. There are several alumni of that program in the room tonight, and hopefully several future alumni as well. Jasmine's going to take about two minutes and tell you a little bit about uh, what the program is. Hello, everyone. Um, Nick told me that I would not have to speak today, um, but I'm happy to be here. This is the first uh, event that I had a chance to attend, but really um, want to talk about CLCV really quickly. Nick uh, is a graduate of our inaugural cohort, so we're so proud. He also had a chance to work with us at Leadership Pittsburgh for about a year, Um, so he's really a close friend. But The Community Leadership Course for Veterans is in its third cohort. Like he said, we have some graduates here in the room, but really our focus with that that course is to help uh, to tap upon the the skills and the attributes that post 9-11 veterans have to to help and bring those to the civilian sector as they transition um, to the civilian world. We really want to also change the narrative about post 9-11 veterans and that they are assets to the community. So in as many ways as possible, we want to introduce the, the business community to post 9-11 veterans and vice versa so that those connections can be made. I am happy to talk to as many people here who have an interest in maybe being involved. It's a six month long program. It is an application based program. Applications would be due um, the first week in February. So there is some time, however, um, It's somewhat competitive of a program, but we really, really, really welcome as many um, candidates who are looking for new uh, ways to get engaged into the the community. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Appreciate it. Uh, I'd just like to point out this real quickly. This uh, this program, it's a game changer. Uh, The people you meet, the connections you make, the network you build. I wouldn't have this job if it were not for CLCV. Uh, CLCV, I went through the cohort with this guy, Benjamin Stahl, good friend. Ben is on the board at Veterans Breakfast Club, and that's how uh, I found out about the positioning opening up. 
So it's really cool. If you're interested, Jasmine has some literature that she'll be happy to share with everybody. Uh, let's see. Who's going to be our first victim tonight? Any volunteers? Chris Sakula? All right. My name is Chris Sakula. I work with the Mission Continues initially as a platoon member and then as an actual fellow, which I'll get into that here in that a fellowship this is a good six month program where you volunteer with a select nonprofit group. Right now, I'm doing mine with Habitat for Humanity, and I just started that, and it's definitely rewarding. Go to a house, go to jobs, go to uh, go do great things. And during that six months, you have assignments of, that you need to need to accomplish and such. But it's also great because it taps into the potential that all 9/11 veterans have, and any veteran in particular. Because it's not it's just increasing it, increasing the change of that narrative to the fact that we do have something to give back to the community. And I'm I'm glad for the for the opportunity. I wish I would have known about it sooner, but uh, <laughs> everything in hindsight, right? So when did you? Uh, you're an army guy, right? Yep. When did you join? I joined in the dark days of 2006, June. Why? What, what led you to the recruiter's office? Uh, honestly, it was, uh, it was a suggestion by my, by my father that, uh, like, well, looks like you don't have too much direction right now. Like, well, I have a degree. Now what? Like, well, there's no jobs here. So, well, why don't you join the Army? Okay. And uh, I traveled a heck of a lot, and uh, it just it gave, me, uh, gave me a lot more grounding for a lot of other things, and What'd you do? What, what was your MOS? What'd you do? Oh, uh, 88 Alpha, uh, Transportation Corps officer. And uh, where, where, were you, where were you stationed at? I was stationed in Fort Bliss, Texas for nearly all, well, actually, yeah, for most of the five years. Everything else is just training, going around and doing wonderful things for the Army. Did you deploy? Yes, uh, twice. Where to? To Iraq both times. First, I deployed to, to Al-Taji, right above Baghdad. And the second time was in Kirkuk. How were those tours for you? Those were, uh, those were actually very different from each other, especially since Taji is more of a kind of like a parking lot versus Kirkuk was, well, the original is Kirkuk Regional Air Base called Crab by Air Force. And when we got there, it was... Uh, it was a brigade-sized element and a battalion-sized footprint. So we had all the, all the MRAPs, all the armored vehicles, all the Humvees, everything else. And plus, we had the lovely task of slotting all that material for transportation back to Kuwait to get refurbished to be sold back to the Iraqi army. And that was a, a fantastic learning <laughs> event. Is that your first tour? That was my second. What was the first well, one like? The first one was uh, being a platoon leader in, in Iraq, learning the whole leadership initiatives and leading convoys throughout Iraq. I was actually with uh, tank haulers, the, uh, the heavy equipment transport system. And that was every time that they needed to upgrade, upgrade the systems and the tanks, they would use us to send them down to Baghdad, get them, to, get them into the... Uh, get them into the electronic shop, bring them back because that was a separate convoy, and then rinse and repeat. 
And also, uh, we were also instrumental in uh, building up the barrier cities of uh, Solder City whenever uh, that was kicking off back in 2007. Uh, that sounds fun. 2008, yeah, yeah. yeah. So how long did you do? How many years? Um, I actually did five. Five? Yeah. So you got out to 2011? Yep. 2011. Uh, you f- from the area? I am actually originally from around Carlisle, PA. What brought you out to Pittsburgh when you got out? Uh, well, <laughs> number of unfortunate events uh, when I got out of the service. Uh, unfortunate events starting with joining the Army. Well, yeah, of course. But uh, I'm definitely uh, not looking back on that. Uh, I actually started living with my dad. He was up in Punxsutawney area. Then I moved down to Pittsburgh to look for better opportunities. And now I found those opportunities and definitely uh, feel like it'll uh, move into a full-time job. And uh, so I can uh, continue doing great things. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for sharing with us. Appreciate it. All right. uh, Next up. Let's see. Who are we going to do? So we said an Army guy. Let's go with... uh, Where's Nate? Hey, Nate. All right, we got Nate Mallory here, Air Force. Now, so we'll preface this with, he was an MP, but he's a decent dude, so don't hold that against him necessarily. Nate, what brought you to the, uh, the wonderful world of the United States Air Force? First, I want to thank you for inviting me. Uh, again, my name's Nathan. I served uh, proudly in the United States Air Force for six years, stationed in Kirtland Air Force Base, Albuquerque, New Mexico, for the whole six years. Uh, I grew up in a small town two hours north of here. Uh, my dad's a dairy farmer. My mom works in a uh, factory. So when you ask the question, what brought me into the United States Air Force, I didn't want to be a dairy farmer, and I didn't want to work in a factory. And uh, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, so college wasn't really something I wanted to step into. So ideally, you know, when it came down to it, it was like, this is a good, a good filler, a good gap fill for the next six years of my life until I hopefully figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Alternately, I still haven't figured that out. So I joined August 21st, 2000. Everyone remembers their date of enlistment, right? That's kind of how this works. Uh, And then I got out proudly, uh, honorary discharge with one deployment um, to Kuwait. So does that count? Yes, it counts. But uh, I guarded nuclear weapons in the United States Air Force. In turn, my certifications kind of held me up. Um, They wouldn't really let me leave. Every time I got put on a deployment, they were like, everyone but you. And... uh, for me, it was kind of one of those things that you would see all your friends and, you know, deploy and some of them not come back. And it kind of got to the point where it was, I wanted to go. So it was kind of an ultimatum for reenlistment was, I want to go on a deployment and give me orders out. I didn't reenlist. It was just what I used to get there. So I mentioned you were an MP, but you weren't like the, the MPs that we all, let's be honest, not a fan of that, like, you know, break up. Rest you when you're 19 and drinking in the barracks. Like Bar you, fights, you, were, yeah. you were not that guy. What were you doing? What was, what was Nate's MP experience? So I've been an overachiever pretty much my whole life. Um, I joined the military as an Eagle Scout. Um, you know, so for me, when I hit the ground as security forces, I'm going to be honest because the standards are pretty low. Uh, it's pretty easy to rise to the top in a unit of military police. Um, so with that, we were a nuclear. Um, I just basically fought and dug through it until I basically had the job of your boss. Um, I learned that on the latter side of it, that training that they teach you of learn, you know, 
learn a job of your boss so you can be the boss. Well, then you're the boss and you're like, teach somebody else to do this because you don't want to anymore. Um, so I got to kind of get to the top. Um, my job basically was uh, senior controller supervisor for the world's largest nuclear stockpile, uh, managing a topside force of heavy artillery and about 70 people in the near far-reaching chance that World War III happened and somebody tried to take our stuff. You were like doing this like below ground too, right? Like you were down deep. 40 enough. feet underground. Uh, so no, no, no windows in my office. Uh, also on the speculation that at any given moment, the reason you're 40 feet underground is uh, it's harder to take nuclear weapons under 40 feet of dirt than it is to drive by and just take them. So uh, every day you kind of worked with the idea that they can just collapse the facility and uh, the world's largest nuclear stockpile is now 40 feet underground as opposed to accessible. So that's the other side of it. That kind of sucks. Yeah, I gotta be awesome. like honest, man. That sounds like a nightmare, dude. Like Going underground every day, 40 <laughs> feet deep. Uh, I'm claustrophobic to a degree. But you used to get out and you would do fun stuff, right? Like uh, you did rifle pistol competitions with the Air Force, right? This is, Nick knows me, so this is cheating. Uh, so I competed as a worldwide competitor for uh, competitive marksman for tactical pistol. So I spent a year and a half of my military service uh, shooting guns for a living. Thank you, taxpayers, for that. Uh, so, yeah, basically traveling around the world, competing with Department of Defense, Department of Energy, um, all branches of military service uh, as a marksman for the United States Air Force. Not complaining about that one. And you were unique too, right? Like you had a leg up on most people because of your hand-eye dominance, right? Because <laughs> I'm a hillbilly. Uh, <laughs> secondly, I'm, yeah, as he mentioned, I'm left-handed left and right-eye dominant, so I can actually, between pistol and rifle, kind of maneuver them simultaneously because I'm not using the same eye for both. That's awesome. So you got out, what year was that? I got out 2006, moved to Pittsburgh, Opened a coffee shop in South Pittsburgh. Welcome to my side of town for those of you that cross rivers and bridges. That's why we've not seen you at an event prior to this one. Because you're on the wrong side of town. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. So, uh, I used to own Cannon Coffee. I sold it. Sorry about that. So, and you just started a new job. I did. What is that? So, I am the platoon leader for an organization called The Mission Continues here in Pittsburgh. Uh, we are a strategic partner with an organization called Rebuilding Together Pittsburgh, working on owner-occupied low-income housing uh, for the population of seniors, people with disabilities, and veterans. Uh, we work on about 165 homes a year with Rebuilding Together. The Mission Continues amplifies that by adding about 10 houses to their, uh, to their capacity. Um, and uh, I've been volunteering with them through the mission continues for about a year and a half, and I recently just took a job with them, so I'm now staff of Rebuilding Together uh, to continue service in a new way. It's awesome. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it, man. Am I done? Yeah, you're Thank done. Thank you guys you're for released. your time. Thanks, man. All right, we had our Air Force guy. It's time to dumb it back down a little bit. Justin, you want to step up, represent the Army? Justin, you are uh, Army Reserves, right? So, when did you join? Why did you join? I, I joined in 1999 because I like to do things halfway. I halfway completed my degree in community college and then I halfway joined the military as a reservist. Um, when I joined in 1999, nothing was really going on in the world. It was pretty calm and peaceful. The reserves was a great place to get uh, veterans points on a civil service exam and money for college. 
So I went to police academy. Time I got done with that, 9-11 had happened. Like right before 9-11, we all joked around about the reserves. Who would ever send us anywhere? You know, we don't know anything. Fortunately, we got sent to Fort Gordon, Georgia. Did some, your typical MP work there. So you had one MP and then another MP. So the, I was the guy that ruined everybody's fun. Stood at a gate and made traffic happen from Fort Gordon, Georgia to somewhere in South Carolina. So we got sent home from that. And shortly after that, we got deployed to Southeast Baghdad. Uh, the FOB then was Mule Skinner. I think it's now called Cuervo. Let's back up just a little bit on that, though. Uh, so who got deployed there? Uh, the 307th MP Company, uh, which oddly enough has a connection to Jonathan Voss. So yeah, I was originally with the 305th MP Company out of Wheeling, West Virginia. Um, and then I got we got consolidated to the 307th out of New Kensington, PA. So our mission there was... Uh, well, you kind of got bamboozled into that deployment, right? I, I don't know. Bamboozled. We kind of knew it was coming. Yeah. They, they told us when we left Fort Gordon, Georgia, not to get cozy. Yeah, they just kind of transferred. You get a letter one day. It says, this is your new unit report then. And then about a month later, we were deployed to Fort Dix, New Jersey. We learned all the valuable skills of combat, uh, mine sweeping, digging uh, foxholes, and not patrolling urban areas. So everything we did then was how they trained for the Cold War, I'm pretty sure. So, so you deployed in 03, right? Deployed in 03. Uh, May of 2003, I landed the same day George Bush said, mission accomplished. <laughs> well, yeah, we got that. So, so you have an interesting uh, fact. We had not really heard of IEDs prior to your unit getting over there, right? Yeah, like I said, when we were in Fort Dix, we were doing some really like basic training kind of stuff just to get us up to speed. We had guys go out on a run. We'd, we'd run 24-7. Um, we'd do a lot of like reports to higher headquarters, um, moving information back and forth, just different patrols and stuff like that. So we... We had a unit go out, and you heard them screaming on the radio. The road blew up. The road blew up. The road blew up. But we're all we're all good. And they get back and they describe what happened. And they said, literally, the road just blew up. I don't know what just happened. They said, was it a mine? And they're like, I don't think so. We drive down this asphalt road every day, and we said, I don't know. It just blew up. So that they didn't know what it was called then. And then eventually they're like, oh yeah, that's an IED that came you know, down the pike. And then we started learning about where they were sourcing the IEDs from. And in 2003, I don't know what it was like. I was, a, the only time I was there is that pretty much artillery was laying on the ground everywhere. That was like, oh, there's a dead cow, there's an artillery round, and then there's a bunch of trash. And then what eventually was happening was that the insurgents were picking up the artillery rounds. We discovered that they would wire them to a cordless phone base, or to, they would wire the cordless phone to the artillery round, use the base, to find the phone that would trigger the IED. So that was, we, we eventually, we learned really quick. Like they came and helped us out pretty fast as far as figuring out what to look for. We rode the same routes every day. So when you saw new trash, you knew what that meant. You just hit the gas and moved over a little bit. And a plastic Humvee, we did not have up armors. We armored everything ourselves. We used sandbags, Vietnam air, flak jackets. We had Hodges, uh, what do you call it, turtle? The, the, shell. Tea, the teacup. Teacup. Yeah. Teacup. We didn't, we didn't know what they were called then, but right. yeah, we were, we were pretty much like hillbillies. I mean, we, whatever worked, I mean, we made it happen and, and we learned. I mean, that was, we were able to adapt pretty fast. And so. like when you guys were there, that's the point. They were still stringing up the wire, right? Yeah. Yeah. They were, yeah. We, uh, we also did the, uh, you know, stop sign posts. We, we learned how to weld those to a, to a vehicle. 
I can say my driver saved my life one night because we were in a pretty tight area of Baghdad and I was in the gun and I was up like this checking rooftops and he slams on the brakes and I go flying into the turret and I'm like, jerk, you know, and it's like, you know, what'd you do that for? And he goes, look up and there's a wire sitting right there. I don't know how he saw it. You know, it was middle of night and he managed to see it. So stuff like that. So we used, we'd put things on the Humvees to catch the wires and, and break them so we wouldn't get chopped off. They were stringing up super thin, like razor wire, neck level for the gunners. So when yeah. you come through, if you weren't paying attention or you didn't have something to break it off, it would just... Yeah, yeah, they were going for your neck. Yeah, that's... So yeah, it was just, yeah, they, I mean, they, and they were just getting started up too. So they weren't, they weren't highly organized, but they were, the groundswell organization for them was coming together. Like they were, you know, we would find pockets of artillery rounds and we call in EOD to get them disposed of. And they're like, well, we're way backed up. But they, when they explained that like, they can tell the pattern of what they're working based on like, you know, that basically when we shift into an area, try to get rid of stuff, they'll go north if we're south. And if we go east, they go west and kind of move around. So, but they weren't highly organized, fortunately for us at that time. So you were there for a year? Um, eight months. Eight months? So. You did the one tour, you came back. How long did you stay in the reserves for? Um, the total time in the reserves is eight years. I hung out through the IRR. I'd rather stick with the devil, you know. They told me if I go in the IRR as MPs, I guess we're a hot commodity, so. They said that you could be picked up by any, anybody, anytime. But if you're with our unit, you're attached to us. And if we deploy, you deploy with people you know. So, um, and the IRR is the, the inact, the ready reserves. Yeah. So if you haven't, when you sign a contract, it's actually for eight years, not four. Yeah. And if you're in the IRR phase, they can call you back whenever they want to until eight years is up, right? Yeah, and we, I saw it firsthand. I mean, there was guys in our unit that were like, I was sitting on my couch in North Carolina last week. And now I hear I'm in Pittsburgh about to deploy with you guys. I thought I was done, man. You know, it was like, well, I don't want to be like him. So, so yeah, I did full eight. So, 1999 to 2007. So, so you got out. What are you doing now? Um, I was a police officer for eight years. Uh, I didn't like that. I didn't really like MP. Taught me I didn't like being a cop, but it was an easy job to get. So I started my own business. Uh, that didn't work out. And then uh, now I work for Enterprise Rental Car as a management trainee. So putting the uh, degree to work finally. You went back. Yeah, you went back to school. Yeah, went back to school. Where'd you go? Penn State. I actually was a police officer for Penn State. I, I worked and went to school at the same time, literally, and that's how I know Todd. I would show up into his class strapped and ready to go. Um, so you had subpar professors is what you're saying. <laughs> I had excellent professors. Yeah. <laughs> so you went so, to school, got out, now you... Now, now I work for Enterprise Rent-A-Car um, as a management trainee. Everyone seems to say I didn't know what direction I was going in life and I still don't know. But I'm working. It's fun. I'm having a good time. It's not a bad job. It's not a great job, but <laughs> awesome. Thanks so, so much, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. We've heard from Army, Air Force. Time to hear from some from the United States Marine Corps. Sergeant Kelsey with the Marines. Um, ah, well, so mostly veterans, civilians. What's your first name? Kamala. Okay. So I'm with the Marines. I'm active duty. I'm stationed in Pittsburgh, downtown. I'm with supply. I'm supply for the recruiting station. I've been stationed here for a little over a year and a half. It's been pretty awesome. It's different. It's not the typical Marine Corps duty station. So it's something different. It's way different from what I planned. You're from Chicago, right? I am from Chicago. What brought you, when did you join and what brought you to the Marine Corps? Actually, I am originally from Jamaica. 
So I was in Chicago for like six months and I got interested in the armed forces, went into the recruiting office and the first armed force service I met was the Navy. I did my ASVAP with the Navy and the recruiter went to the bathroom and I saw a Marine walk by in a uniform. I got interested and I left the office and uh, they haven't seen me since, um, yes. <laughs> Um, my, the first Marine I met was uh, Corporal Todd Jones. He's still my mentor till this day. I'm about to get promoted before him, so that's cool. He gave me the spill about the Marines, and honestly, what he told me as far as the pride of belonging, that brotherhood, that teamwork, that's what I needed at the time. And being in the Marine Corps right now, that is a part of me. And being and Team RWB is even, you know, a great experience as well. When did you join? I joined in 2011, 2011, 2010. Got shipped to Paris Island in 2011, and it's been a roller coaster ever since. You're active duty, right? I am. And so you're active duty Marine Corps in Pittsburgh. Uh, there's like, what, four, four or five active duty Marines in Pittsburgh. How did you get out here? I, I'm pretty sure I pissed the monitor off. And um, I applied to be a drill instructor and got denied because apparently I was a sergeant for a month and that wasn't enough time in service. So I, the next Sunday I checked MOL and I got orders to Pittsburgh. You re-enlisted I am re-enlisted. I am going to the drill field next July. I am going to be a drill instructor. <laughs> Making Marines. All right, so I went through Army boot camp. Uh, I hear it's not necessarily as confrontational as Marine Corps boot camp. Look, let's, let's be honest. You're small in stature. How are you going to, uh, what's going to be your thing? Like, how are you going to be super intense with the new recruits? I am surprisingly loud. I'm trying to control my voice right now. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to let your, cam your uh, microphone explode or anything, so... <laughs> You know, I, I'm pretty loud. I'm pretty intense, you know. I'll be like, I'm prepared to tell you, open your freaking mouth! Scream for your life! Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, I, I, I got what it takes physically, mentally. I'm ready. I'm there. You love the Marine Corps, I'm assuming, because you are, you're, you're going to be, this will be your second time re-enlisting. Second How time. How long? Four more? Six Four more. Four more. Is this going to, you're going to be a 20 year... I'm going for it. As long as my body allows me and I'm still being productive in the core, I'm going to go for it. Well, at least there's someone out there that feels that way. I was done after eight. My body <laughs> shut down. Uh, thank you so much for sharing with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Where is uh, where's Dan? Dan Brownlee. Where's he? Where'd he go? There. Oh, close. Perfect. Hi, my name's Dan Brownlee, uh, born and raised in Pittsburgh, actually Dormont, South Hills, so pretty close to here. I uh, had a bit of a circuitous route to the Army. I decided uh, originally I went to Westminster College, so I started off as a high school teacher, moved down to Norfolk, Virginia to teach high school, realized after about three months of ninth graders that that wasn't going to last, uh, so I moved to D.C., for grad school and worked in, uh, got my graduate degree in political management, 
I worked in politics and at the Pentagon uh, for about a year and a half, two years, and ended up spending like three or four years in D.C. And that really was the first experience at the Pentagon that I had with the military. And having taught high school, I always had an appreciation for military history, but that experience at the Pentagon was the first one in which I realized that maybe it's time to, to kind of pull the trigger on the military service. So I went to the recruiter's office and they said, you know what, you gotta do it now, otherwise we're gonna have to get you an age waiver because you're almost 30 and you're gonna be too old. So I put in my packet, moved back to Pittsburgh and they accepted me and I went in and I'm coming up actually on five years uh, anniversary for going off to boot camp. And that was, I turned 31 a month into boot camp. All right, let me stop you there and ask you about that. So when I was in boot camp, I was every bit of 18. Uh, there was a guy who was 21, and we called him old man. Yeah. Right? What did yeah. they call you? Well, actually, there was a guy in the reserves that was switching from the Coast Guard to the Army that was 41. Oh, so he took the oh, heat so off I was, of you. Yeah, I was okay. young compared to that, but yeah. And I always had, you know, everybody always joked, I got, I got a young face, so I, I somehow blended in. So you weren't even, grandpa. Even, even, though, even though my hairline says something different, <laughs> my, fa my face was young enough that they didn't really bother me. But uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting, because like I said, going in, I had almost a, a decade of civilian experience before I joined the Army, so. Where'd you get stationed? What you, uh, what uh, you joined? For, for, well, I was down at Fort Benning for basic training and then officer candidate school, and then I, commissioned as a transportation officer. So I was at Fort Lee for six months, four months, five months, and then I was at Fort Wainwright, Alaska, uh, 125 Striker Brigade, par uh, part of the 25th BSB up there. So I was a platoon leader in charge of uh, about 42 soldiers that main responsibility was to haul ammo in any class four. Uh, like generally one way trip was about three to three and a half hours in Fairbanks, which nine months out of the year, that's like on a foot and a half of snow and ice. So it's, it's pretty dangerous environment. So that was, uh, that was my primary responsibility up there. How cold would it get up there? So the first winter I was there, they set a record. It was 249 straight days without a temperature over 39 degrees, and it got to negative 54 was the coldest it got to. Negative 54. So what negative kind of training 54. do you do when it's negative 50 outside? Oh, you would still train because ultimately it wasn't the BSB's decision. It was the infantry units that were like, screw it, we're, we're training regardless. So you just, I mean, we were beholden to whether or not they needed supplies, so. Yeah, not gonna lie, that sounds terrible as well. Oh yeah, oh, it was miserable. What is there to it, do when you're, when you're off duty? What is there to do in Fairbanks? Not much, yeah, not much. So you're just hanging out in the barracks? Well, it's, it's the second largest city, but it's 32,000 people. Sure. Yeah. How long did you spend there? Uh, two and a half years. But it, but it is the only location you can actually get an Arctic tab. So you go to school and you're, you get like essentially like a ranger, but it's for Arctic. And you yeah. go learn how to live and build like makeshift shanties in the snow. And you have to spend a couple of nights without a heater. Hey, you did and an igloo and climb in there, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Use a parachute and sticks and yeah, pack it in and spend a few nights out there and ruck around a little bit. So... You did two and a half years there? Yeah. Yep. Know what, uh, you were done? 
Well, yeah. I mean, joining when I was 31, it was always just, it was, it was something to do, but it wasn't a career decision. Sure. I was too sure. old at that point to do the, the reserve route and do another 17 years. Right. So you were talking about the IRR earlier, and I was like, oh, God, you're going to jinx me. <laughs> I'm sitting on the IRR till 2019, so. Uh, well, you might not have to go anywhere. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, well, well, yeah. I mean, junior officers is transportation lieutenants were a dime a dozen. So, sure. Yeah. So, so you I came back to Pittsburgh once you were done at Wainwright? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I always wanted to, like I said, I was born and raised here. And then once I got out, I mean, the mission and the plan was always to come back. So uh, that's what happened now down on the south side. What do you do now? So I'm the local director. It's a, non- a 501c4 nonprofit called Concerned Veterans for America. And we operate, we're a veteran advocacy organization, so we work on reforming the VA. Uh, We work on reducing wasteful expenditures within the Department of Defense. And especially in election year, we're working on getting veterans out to vote. Uh, What's unique about us is we don't care who you vote for, but we want you to go vote because we think it's important for veterans to to exercise that right. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. How long have you been doing that for? Uh, About seven months. Yeah, okay, cool. You enjoying it? Oh, yeah. No, it's great. It really is. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Dave. Dave Routabush here. How's it going, Nick? Uh, So you are Army Reserves Guard? National Guard. National Guard. Yeah, out of Johnstown. 876 Engineers out of Johnstown. How old? Why? Um, I joined whenever I was a senior in high school. Um, I had a lot of older friends, so... They're like, oh, man, this is cool shit. We get to go on the weekends, shoot some guns, drink some beer, you know, get college paid for. This is great. So, you know, I joined January because my uh, parents wouldn't sign up for me. Let me do it when I was 17. So I had to wait until I turned 18. And I uh, signed up. And then January went to uh, basic training September 17, 2001. So it was a little different than when I signed up. It was uh, pretty intense. September 17, 2001. Yeah. You went to basic. Yeah. So, uh, did you have second thoughts maybe about going to basic? Not really. Uh, my mom did. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So she's like, "Oh man, <laughs> I told you not to do it." <laughs> right. What did you? What did you? What was your MOS? What did you join uh, to do? Twelve B, uh, common engineer. Yeah. And what does that entail? Um, that entails explosives, um, detonating, um, seeking. You know, did all that stuff. But when that happened, uh, we got whenever I got deployed, we got sent to Fort Dix to uh, do our old uh, urban, you know, urban warfare, all that good stuff, searching out uh, explosives and everything like that. Um, we went to Germany to uh, do some force protection over there with the MPs in uh, 2003, when I, like about three months after I got back from basic, we got shipped out there. Um, did about eight to 10, I forget, it's like 10 months. You forget a lot while you're in Germany. Sure. <laughs> so what was your favorite thing to do as an engineer? Uh, I don't know. I loved, we got to drive a lot of the big machine, like the, the bulldozer and stuff like that. I never, I never got trained on that until I got back, so it was kind of, kind of fun to do that stuff. I mean, you did construction. Like, we did uh, construction. Yeah, we, whenever we got back from Germany, we ended up splitting up to Striker Brigade and Horizontal, horizontal Construction Unit. So I got sent over to the Horizontal Construction Unit because um, I was due to get out in about a year and a half. So they're like, we'll send you there. We're not going to train you on the Striker Brigade because you're not going to be in that long. Um, but I ended up doing one year and one year after off to stay off the IRR like everybody else. They say every MOS is, you know, bound to go. I think that's how they keep you, keep you in for another two years. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you, you build some stuff. Yeah. You blew some stuff up. Yep. 
What'd you like more? Blowing stuff up. Obviously, yeah, right? Yeah, that's obviously, yeah. When'd you get out? Um, 2009. Why did you decide to get out? Why did you want to stay in? I was finished up college. I had a, about a year away. I finished up college and then went to get a job. So I was like, you know, I want to start my life after the military, you know. So I just wanted to not be hindered to go somewhere and lose my job or not, you know, have opportunities down the line. You know, figured eight years was a, a good amount of time. So it's time to start something, different chapter of my life. So what'd you do when you got out? Where'd you um, go? I did, went to college at Slipper Rock and then I got it. Uh, while I was still in, I did my uh, internship at Holy Family Institute up in um, Emsworth, PA. And I did uh, family counseling and addiction counseling with them for about seven years. And I started a new job at Mercy, um, working in the veteran spectrum last September. So Tell us about that a little bit. What do you guys um, do down I work there? for PA Serves. We, uh, we coordinate services for veterans. Um, what we do is try to bridge the gap between the, the services that are out there for veterans and veterans that need services. So um, what we, you know, all we do is, you know, veterans can call in, log in online, you know, send their assisted request, and then we can link those veterans up with whatever services they may need. So I have some pamphlets here if you get anybody's interested, anybody knows anybody that needs some help. Um, you know, we do have education, you know, helping with employment, um, help navigate the VA. So we do a lot of great stuff to, to try to, you know, help the veterans out with whatever they may need and, and their family members as well. So um, we're, we're more than willing to help out. We work with a lot of cool programs like the Breakfast Club. Um, we work with the Vet Center, um, the Leadership Pittsburgh, Team Red, White, and Blue, Michigan Continues. So we're linked with all those organizations. And, you know, it's been a really good experience because uh, Pittsburgh really embraced this program. And uh, all the veterans programs and civilian programs are really willing to help out our veteran community in Pittsburgh. So it's a, it's a really nice thing to see. Yeah, great, man. Yeah. You, have, uh, you have, like, some literature here with you about yes, PSRs? Yes, I do. I, yeah, I have it right over there. So if anybody needs anything, I'll be here a little bit afterwards or whenever. So stop by. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, brother. Hey, Rob. Hey, come on up, man. Yeah, well, it's like being at church, right? You never look the pastor in the eye. He'll call on you. Yeah, I guess so. Hola. Wait, is this on? Yeah, it's on. Be boisterous. Do your Marine Corps voice. I'm not a Marine anymore. I'm a civilian. So, that's right. I am always a Marine, but not with this or this. Um, So, the last time I talked to you was at Voodoo Brewery about two months ago, roughly. And uh, since then, I do not work at Voodoo Brewery anymore. I actually bought Jake Volker's construction company. And I bury veterans at the National Cemetery, the Alleghenies, uh, down in Bridgeville area, Cecil, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so it's been, uh, it's been very rewarding to bury veterans. You know, the men and women that serve our country uh, get to put them in their final resting place. So it's just me that does it. It's fantastic. Um, I had the honor of burying a gentleman that was in Easy Company. If do any of you know what Easy Company is? Band of Brothers, ever seen that? Tom was at Easy Company 506. Yes, you have. So you know who exactly who I'm talking about that died about three weeks ago. And he is buried uh, in Section 3 of the National Cemetery. Um, beyond that, life as a civilian, having been out almost two years out of the Marine Corps, has been uh, challenging yet rewarding. Um, but, I mean, here we are at Spoonwood. We're drinking beer and eating great food, so it's not that bad. Um... 
I want to thank you for having me out here again. Thanks for coming, man. Absolutely. So you were working with Jake, yep. for Jake, bought his company. Uh, my understanding before was he was trying to, I don't know if it was exclusively veterans he was hiring, but predominantly veterans? I would say predominantly, not exclusively. I don't think that's legal. But, uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, you know, as many as he can that are qualified for whatever he's seeking, absolutely. Have um, you continued that trend? I did, yep. I actually have uh, three employees, two out of the three which are military vet or med or veterans. Uh, I try not to discriminate, but Marines are the only ones that apply to that. So apply to that job posting, so sorry. <laughs> so you're... It's hard to say enjoying it, but you have to look at the bright side. I mean, it's 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 not the worst, but it's 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 honorable. You know? Sure. I mean, there's got to be some sort of pride to that, right? Like absolutely. The, uh, if if anyone needs to be a part of that, it should be other veterans. Honestly. Absolutely. Yep. Great, man. Glad to hear you're doing well. Thanks, Thanks for coming Nick. out again, dude. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Hey, Todd. So we've got just a few minutes left. I wanted to get one of the. Um, what's one of the more seasoned individuals in the room? So you want an older veteran to talk to save? I want a seasoned veteran. A seasoned veteran. Not, a, not an old guy like you, but like a, an experienced guy. I think Dan might be our oldest veteran. Should we go? Dan, let's go to Dan. Okay, let's go to Dan. Dan, I'm sorry to bother you. <laughs> I think you might be the oldest veteran in the room. How old are you? 39. <laughs> he turned the numbers around. He's getting dyslexic now. He just turned 93. You just turned 93. 93, yeah. And you were in the Army? I was in the Army in the 26th Infantry Division, and uh, I fought under George Patton's Third Army in World War II. I have a few uh, Army uh, stories, just not stories, but why I'm here. That's my old favorite thing. Why am I here? So uh, what happened this one time, I was in the light artillery, and uh, we normally at midnight, half the crew goes to sleep and the other half stays out to man the guns. So uh, I was then sleeping this night and a new before we went to sleep a new guy came up and must have been come out of the hospital and uh, the first sergeant says i'm going to assign you tomorrow he says just bed down and we'll, we'll fix you up tomorrow and uh, me and the corporal we had a tent everybody had a half a tent and you had a, a partner so uh Never for that whole year we were ever called anybody that was sleeping to help man the guns when the, when the fire mission came up. So this night we were sleeping and it was 5 o'clock in the morning. The sergeant gets up, they had a fire mission, and the sergeant gets up and says, get them, the, the second crew up too. So we're, we're, we got up and we sure give the, the sergeant a bad look because it's our turn to sleep. But anyhow, as we start firing away, there was a muzzle burst which broke, the shell broke above our head and we were helping them fired a gun, the artillery gun, the 105 howitzer. So anyhow, 
But when we went back, the new guy, we never got his name, the new guy was laying over there, his head was splattered around. We went to our bed, our tent, and we looked where our heads were, and all our clothes were just scattered away. And I wonder why I'm here. Somebody up there knows something. So your sergeant had never done this before. He woke you up to be the second crew on this gun, and he saved your life doing that. I, whatever, whoever told him that thing, why am I here? I shouldn't be here. I fought in the Battle of the Balls. I fought in four big battles with George Patton, and I'm here. And you're here. And I'm here with you. Thank you. I, and I, I just want to say, Dan is somebody, he's 93 years old, he lived through a very important part of our history, but so have all these other veterans who are here tonight. And, uh, and I, uh, Nick may have mentioned this, but you know we do these storytelling programs in the morning and also in the evening, and we also like to sit veterans down to interview them. So Dan, I'm going to be giving you a call to sit you down to interview you and get more of your stories. Uh, we, we'd love to sit you all down for an hour or 90 minutes and get the whole story. And so if you're interested in doing an interview, please let me know. I'll put your name on the list and I'll be giving you a call. Thank you. have my papers. I have your papers. Yeah. I have all your, I have all your information, Dan. I want to know when I crossed the line, on that mark. He gave me a map of everywhere that he served in Europe. If I want to know when he crossed the Rhine, I look at the map. Thank you, Dan. My name's Bob Stone. I'm a part of the Veterans of Four Wars, Disabled Veterans, American Legion. And what do you get from my speeches? I've been doing this for like 30 years. I've been a post commander of VFW four times, a district commander. What, we wanted, what I want to impress on you is there's organizations that are willing to help you and make everything happen and make it right for you. You can go to the federal building with your claims and with your problems, and there's people down there, no matter if you go to the Disabled American Veterans, the VFW, with your claim number, they can help you do this. One of the biggest things that offends me is that lawyers walk up to the younger veterans and say, we can help you. All they're after is your money. They don't, you don't have to give them anything at the federal building. They are volunteers from these organizations. So I encourage you to join veterans groups and join the group that you feel comfortable with. I'm not here to recruit you in any one of these groups. I'm here to tell you that we all exist. I'm a life member of Disabled Veterans. I'm a life member of the Veterans of War Wars, but I'm a Vietnam veteran and being 67, we're joiners. See, being a veteran, you either join or you don't join. You either love this stuff or you don't love this stuff. You grow up with it, you go in the Marines. I joined the Marines right out of high school. And I went right to Vietnam. But I love it because that's what I am. You know, they always say, what is a patriot? A patriot's the one that never looks back. He always goes and serves that flag outside and I'll do anything to make sure that flag's safe. So you all have a safe trip, and thank you much. All right, so that'll wrap it up for tonight. 
Again, thank you so much for coming, and we hope to see you at our next event, which is going to be in August. Not exactly sure on the date quite yet, but it's going to be at the Rivers Club downtown, uh, and you will be getting an email about that shortly. So once again, thanks for coming out, and we'll see you. You've been listening to another live storytelling event by the Veterans Breakfast Club. For more information about the Veterans Breakfast Club and our post-9-11 Veterans Storytelling Project, including a schedule of our events throughout western Pennsylvania, visit us online at veteransbreakfastclub.com. 